0: And so the question we are going to ask and answer today, I hope, is um, can we really trust Jesus, not only with the lives we live here on earth, but with our salvation? And uh, it's my prayer that when you leave today, the answer that you will uh, have in your heart is is Yes. But as I was thinking about the things that the world teaches us to rely on and to trust, what comes to mind is that we're taught to trust our own efforts and do things in our own strength. We love rugged individualism. We're taught to trust our employers who provide, you know, our paychecks, that pay the bills, We're taught to trust our education and our degrees and we're taught to trust our retirement accounts to carry us through old age and then eventually our doctors to keep us healthy. But friends, what we learn in this life at some point along the way is that um, sometimes the world changes in ways that the education we originally got isn't worth as much today as we thought it would be. We learn that our employers will sometimes shut down or lay us off. Even the relationships with our families that we cherish can sometimes get broken and the people that we trust sometimes disappoint us or they precede us to heaven. Our doctors can keep us healthy for a good long time in this day and age, but if you ever find the doctor who can keep you so that your body never runs out of gas, never runs out of steam, and you can live forever, I'd like his or her name, please. Because that doctor doesn't exist. So those things that we learn to rely on from the world aren't that reliable when we look at things in the light of eternal life and and everlasting and eternity. But as I was thinking about things and putting this together and thinking about employment and friendships and relationships, I kind of drifted back To my days in the courthouse, which Robert brought to my attention this morning when he was talking about taxes and pointed to me and said, you know, those tax people. Uh, Thanks, Robert. I really appreciated that. It was kind of funny, but it's funny, especially because this morning when we get to our text, it's about a tax collector. But anyway, when I was thinking about my days in the courthouse, I was remembering two friends of mine, Deborah Clark and Diane Nelson, who were the supervisor of elections, Deb still is, and Diane, who was the real tax collector, not me. And we held office at a time when it was the first time that three women had been constitutional officers in Pinellas County. So occasionally, when we were out and about, people would want to take a picture of us, which always made me feel foolish. But I was always in the center because Deb came up to about here on me, and Diane came up to about here on me, and I was like this towering giant over them. And uh, then one day, we were posing for a picture somewhere, and two of our male colleagues from the courthouse came forward carrying two boxes for Diane and Deb to stand on. And um, thank you very much. But I still cherish those friendships, but what I want to share with you today is You see, my friend Diane, the tax collector, is very different than the two tax collectors I met when I came back to my faith, turned back to my Bible, and got reintroduced to Matthew, who was Levi, who Jesus said, leave your tax booth and follow me. And Levi became Matthew, the writer of our first gospel. And then there was that wee little man, that wee little man named Zacchaeus. And you have to remember in biblical times, tax collectors were the most despised people. They preyed upon others. They were wealthy at other people's expense. And a Christian, a very popular Christian writer named Max Licato, described them this way He said, Combine the greed of an embezzling executive with the presumption of a television evangelist. Throw in the audacity of an ambulance-chasing lawyer and the cowardice of a drive-by sniper. Stir in a pinch of a pimp's morality and finish it off with the drug peddler's code of ethics, and what do you have? A first-century tax collector. And I'm happy to report that doesn't describe my friend Diane at all. But the point is, Zacchaeus was truly a despised, despised man. And there was nothing lower in people's eyes than someone who preyed upon others. And part of the reason was, you know, the area where Zacchaeus collected taxes was Jericho, which was a booming area by today's standards. We'd call it a a metropolis where there was lots of commerce. And the way taxes worked in those days, Caesars told the tax collectors, look, you have to collect this much for me. But there was no formula about what could be charged. A tax collector could squeeze as much money out of people as he could get, because once he paid Caesar, he could keep the rest for himself. And that's why they were so hated and so reviled. So let's take a look at Luke's Gospel. I'm going to read from the message translation to tell you how Luke describes this encounter between Jesus and the wee little tax collector named Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck. Delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for the least and the lost and the despised. Why do you think Zacchaeus climbed that tree? I mean, he wasn't wearing trousers like guys do today. He was wearing those robes that they wear. Can you imagine being a short little guy and climbing a tree? It wasn't very dignified. He was probably trying to keep the thing wrapped around his legs. So he climbs up in this tree, not caring if he looked foolish, but maybe, just maybe, he was trying to hide from Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to see him because he knew that he wasn't such a good guy and he wasn't much beloved in the community. Sometimes we're like that. We think we can take the worst of our lives and hide it from God and he'll only see the shiny good parts. But we know, if we're really honest with ourselves, that that's not the case. We know that we're sinners, but sometimes, like Zacchaeus, we might be afraid that Jesus wouldn't accept us or pay attention to us, so we hide away. Now I'm assuming since Zacchaeus had been promoted to the level of the lead tax collector that he was probably a little older. He wasn't a young man. Maybe he thought he had been a sinner for too long and it was too late for him, or that his profession was too despised for him to ever be forgiven, and yet he longed for Jesus enough to just try to get a glimpse of him And Jesus saw him, and with all the people who were around, Jesus decided to accept this man who was so despised. But Zacchaeus did more than come down from the tree and invite Jesus into his home. He confessed. He said, in a stammering voice, the text I read to you said he stammered apologetically. He said, hey, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. He actually used the words, I give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've cheated someone, I'm going to pay them back four times over. And that's way more than the law required. The law required that restitution would be paid in two times the amount that you cheated someone. So he was going above and beyond. And the lesson in this for us, and there's a couple lessons actually, is first of all, we can say that we profess Jesus Christ and we can long for him and we can accept him, but our actions need to meet our words. Jesus wanted, or Zacchaeus wanted the world to see that Jesus had changed his heart, that he had turned over a new leaf. And what I want to remind you today is that it's never too late for that to happen for you and for me. If we look in John's gospel and we read the words that he wrote in his first chapter, he said this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He didn't say to those who believed by the time they were 20 or 30 or 90, To those who believed and have respectable professions that the world loves, he said, to those who believe, period, with no other qualifiers. And that's what we're called to do, and we can trust that. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul put it this way about what we could receive when we changed our lives and turned toward Christ, the way Zacchaeus did. He said, "Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The Spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death." That's it. Can we trust that? We can. I trust it every day. I hope you do too. But you know, the story I just read to you, the story of Zacchaeus with him being a sinner who repents and changes, that's usually the way his story is read. That's the way we teach it to the little children when they sing that song that's been running through my head all week since I started planning this message. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All week long, it's been... Maddening, we're going to turn to a new sermon after today's over. But, you know, we teach kids about him, but there's another way to read this story. You see, when I get ready to bring God's word to you, I usually try to read the text that the sermon will cover, in a whole bunch of different Bible versions. New King James Version, the NIV, the Message, the New Living Translation, a whole bunch of them. And what I noticed when I was reading that is, in two of the translation, Zacchaeus wasn't talking about what he did in the future tense. He wasn't saying, I will give, I will start doing this now, or I will make restitution. He said, I give, and I pay in the here and now, and these aren't just the musings of an ex-English major who's obsessed with verb tenses. This matters, because you see, if Zacchaeus was a despised tax collector and he was already doing the right thing, he really didn't deserve the reputation that the people gave him. If he was already giving half of his wealth to the poor and already making restitution four times greater when he recognized that he sinned and he repented and he tried to make things right, then people shouldn't have despised him and the religious leaders shouldn't look down on him. And I bring that up today because the world operates with a ton of stereotypes about our life's calling and our work. The world Stereotypes people based on race, based on gender. In some Christian denominations, I wouldn't be allowed to be up here speaking to you today because it's not a woman's place. Okay? And, and, and that's fine. I'm not going to go down that road. But the, the point is, there's stereotypes. I remember once when I was at a Rotary Club luncheon. There was a captain who had just returned from Afghanistan. He was an Apache helicopter pilot and commanded a a unit. And it was stationed over near the Coast Guard station. They had just returned, and he was a really nice young guy. And he was the guest speaker at our Rotary Club, and I sat with him. And he was talking about how much he appreciated how his church family had gathered around his wife and children while he was gone. And he felt certain that the church's prayers for him is what brought him home. And in the middle of him telling me this story, back in the day, this woman walked up to him, and she pointed to him, and she goes, Don't you be a warmonger! And truthfully, I didn't feel very pastoral in that moment. I just wanted to smack her and say, what? You know, why, how could you say that to this guy? But we do that all the time based on people's vocations. You know, as a, as a person who was also trained to be a lawyer along with the tax assessor, I've heard every lawyer joke in the book, and I know that the lawyers in our congregation, I will tell you, they get tiresome. Yeah, they're kind of funny, but they get old after a while. And you know, there's some lawyers who aren't the ambulance-chasing guys that, that Max Locato was talking about. They do wonderful work for our church, for our community, for people who are doing estate planning, they don't always deserve the stereotype. And the same is true of politicians. When I think of my two little friends, Diane and Deb, they're, they're good, salt-of-the-earth people. They care about serving the public. And so the story of Zacchaeus taken from that viewpoint is a reminder to us that there are times in our lives when the world judges us harshly. And if that happened to be the case with Zacchaeus, and it probably wasn't, but if that happened to be his case, and he wasn't really such a bad guy, then isn't it great to know that our Lord and Savior sees the truth about us and will spend time with us even when the world won't? And I want to leave you with that thought today, because Zacchaeus can teach us one of two lessons— The first is that if we really are as bad as the world thinks, it's not too late to change. But if we really aren't as bad as the world thinks, and we love the Lord, and we can teach ourselves to be satisfied seeking the approval of the audience of the only one who matters, then what the world thinks, what the world judges, will fade away. You know, that really matters because one of the stereotypes that much of the world holds are stereotypes about Christians and hatred for Christians and nothing makes that clearer than what happened in Sri Lanka last Sunday on Easter Sunday when people for no other reason than their faith were killed as we celebrate the empty tomb. But for those people today I feel certain that they are resting safely and securely. Their salvation was true. They relied on and trusted that, yes, we can trust Jesus with our salvation. And we need to know that today. If you're someone who's been relying on employers and wealth and education and power and position and doctors... It's okay to have those things be part of your life, but don't place your trust, your eternal trust, on those things because they will all pass away. The question we ask today is the same question Zacchaeus asked Can I trust Jesus? The answer was yes for him, and it's yes for us too. Let's pray.